The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Bobby Heenan, that is a very good-looking sport coat you've got on. Yeah, and I paid for mine. Mine is in government issue. Oh, Go ahead, interview me now. That's your job out here. Bobby People like to know a little bit about me. Yes, You're the not... kind of a guy that just keeps talking, don't want anybody else to get a word in. Now, interview me while I can get my interview done here. I'd like to. And don't waste any time talking uh-huh. about other little things that are trivial. Talk to me right now. Go ahead. Come on. Bobby. You know, I got a lot to say. I'm not really? the kind of a guy that stands around here. You bring Vern Gagne out here, the world's heavyweight champ. You bring whoever else you want out here, and I'm going to put this man right against him. They talk about how bad Bockwinkle wants the belt, how he walks his rooms at night, how he, he stays by the phone waiting for someone to call, waiting for Vern Gagne to break a hip or something, how he drives by where Vern Gagne stays in the motel in the house and rolls the windows down, and he's yelling, trying to sucker him out of the motel room, how he, he polishes an old belt he's got at home, how he cries day and night. Wrong. Not day and night. Not week and week out. He's a champion. He don't have to do that stuff. Are you done yet? No, I'm not done. Keep going. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. This is the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and we're paying tribute today to a true legend, uh, a guy who could possibly be uh, one of the most well-rounded performers in wrestling history. We're talking about Bobby the Brain Heenan. He's one of the best all-time on the mic uh, as a manager, as a bump taker. Uh, all across the board, Bobby Heenan was just top-notch, top-level, and we're going to talk all about Bobby the Brain Heenan today. Are you fans in this area well aware of the fact that a young man from down in neighboring Milwaukee, a very impressive athlete in the Olympics, I'm talking about Lorenz Susie, Bobby Heenan, you've got a big smile on your face tonight. Impressive in the Olympics. Who cares about watching a bunch of children wrestle? Who cares about the Olympics? Oh, it's a great thing for the country, but who cares about Lorenz the sissy? That's his name? Lorenz Susie. Can you, you imagine? Nine months they had to come up with another name, and that's the best they could do. Laurent. That's the most important thing they could come up with in nine months. Shows you the mentality of his parents. Of course, he went to the University of Wisconsin, right? In Madison. Don't, don't take a whole lot to get in there. I guess you have to be able to, the entrance exam, you have to be able to write your name in three different colors of crayon. I could care less your wrestling ability. I could care about your amateur background. You're in the ring now with a professional. I'm going to go behind that man so much, he's going to think he's stuck in a revolving door. I'm going to take him down, take him around, show him the town. I'm going to reverse neck snap his neck. I'm going to dislocate both his shoulders. Then I might just paintbrush until my hands are swollen shut. 
the great Bobby Heenan. And I've got two guests on the show today, two uh, very great color commentators in their own right to help me pay uh, tribute to Bobby. I'm talking about Cyrus, host of Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus on the Jericho Network, um, who, as you're about to hear, has taken a lot of inspiration on the mic from Bobby as a color commentator for New Japan Pro Wrestling, as a manager back when he was doing that. And also former WCW caller commentator and a good friend of mine, Mark Madden, makes his talk as Jericho debut to uh, discuss working with Bobby Heenan for uh, years in WCW. Both are sharing stories about Bobby as we talk about and remember some of his best moments as a manager for Ric Flair, Andre the Giant, Nick Bockwinkle, uh, many, many, many more and talking about some of his great promos, some of his great lines. It's weird because I didn't really know Bobby. Uh, he commentated my matches for three years in WCW and I didn't really know much about him. I didn't really uh, hang with him at all. But having him commentate my match for my debut on Nitro was one of the biggest uh, uh, honors of my career. And it's pretty funny. Um, you're going to hear how he big leagued me on the last time I ever saw him a few years ago. And I was watching the uh, my very first Nitro. It was a de- I debuted on Nitro from Panama City, Florida versus Alex Wright in like August of 96. And he, uh, a Bischoff, well, we talked about this, how Bischoff was putting me over. And Bobby goes, what did you co-sign for a loan with for this guy? And then I actually watched it back, and we talk about this, about how I didn't accept the victory over Alex Wright because he crashed and burned on a dive from the top, and he was going to get counted out. But I rolled outside and said, I'm not taking the victory that way. And Bobby Heenan goes, what a wimp. Take the victories you can get him, kid. And, and uh, Bischoff's like, yeah, but what a good guy. He goes, oh, yeah, great guy, but his wallet's going to be a lot lighter. Take the victories when you can. And, boy, he was right. I didn't get a lot of victories in WCW when I first started there, but Bobby uh, paved the way. But great, uh, great performer, and uh, I'm really excited to uh, pay tribute today. Humanoids and Ham and Eggers, the ballad of Bobby the Brain, who passed away September 17th from complications uh, from throat cancer. But before Cyrus and Mark Madden join us, Cabins are booking up fast for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at sea. We announced the maiden voyage last week, and the response has been overwhelming. We've had cabins sold from over 30 states and six countries already. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Remember, it's not this October. It's set sail October of 2018. October 27, 2018, over one year away to uh, save up your cash and get your plans together to book a cabin on the cruise of a lifetime. We're leaving from Miami. We're going to Nassau and the lineup. I did my best to put together a sterile, stellar lineup for you uh, featuring me. Uh, you know I'm going to be there doing Talk is Jericho live, doing the words of Jericho, schmoozing, mingling. Hell, I might even marry a lucky couple. We're working on that. Uh, we got Jim Ross hosting the lovable, amazing, good old JR will be hosting the the uh, the, the cruise, hosting the Ring of Honor, uh, Sea of Honor tournament with uh, 12 different uh, wrestlers. Four women of honor will be there. Now, these matches will be happening in the middle of the ocean. Okay, we got a ring set up on the, uh, on the deck of the ship, which we had to have... Very very much uh, engineers had to come and um, give us their analysis and, and all these different things on how we could get the uh, the uh, the weight limits and all that stuff. It was It's the first time ever, so there's a lot of stuff that had to be done. But the Sea of Honor tournament uh, presented by Ring of Honor will take place on the ship in the middle of the ocean. And the winner gets a future title shot for the ROH World Heavyweight title. So that is something huge at stake. Um, and then we've got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is going to be there. Mick Foley, Rey Mysterio. There's going to be a live Killing the Town with Lance Storm and today's guest Cyrus. There's going to be live Keeping It 100 with Conan, Disco Inferno, and Shane Helms. Beyond the Darkness will be there. Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis uh, giving you paranormal uh, uh, talks, I guess you'd say seminars about ghosts and monsters and a whole bunch of cool stuff. 
Raven will be doing some comedy. Uh, Mick Foley will be doing some comedy. Jim Brewer will be doing some comedy, and he'll also be playing with his amazing band, Jim Brewer and the Loud and Rowdy. What a great rock and roll band they are. Busted Open Radio, LaGreca's going to be there. Uh, all the boys from that uh, amazing show. We also got uh, Fozzie. We're going to be playing uh, Judas and a whole bunch of other tunes. Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons. Soon as uh, Lemmy passed away, Phil continued on the Motorhead vibe. He was their guitar player for 30 years. He was the main riff writer, and he moved straight forward into Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, featuring actually three of his sons are in the band. They're a great rock and roll band. You know you're going to get some cool Motorhead tunes from that. King is going to be there. We toured with them. Great group of guys and a great rock and roll band. The Dives, awesome uh, power pop band from New York City, uh, featuring Evan Stanley is in that band. And we got the Dave Spivak Project. You know, Spiwi is going to be playing some of his tunes, uh, rocking the lounges and doing the singer-songwriter thing. We also got Shoot to Thrill, the world's greatest female ACDC cover band. What a cool thing that is. Blizzard of Ozzy, the world's greatest Ozzy Osbourne tribute band. And there's more to come, a lot more announcements to come. So go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com to get your cabin now. You can get them for as low as 150 bucks to book. Obviously, that's the down, uh, the, the deposit you put down. But go check it out, ChrisJerichoCruise.com, and join us for the destination vacation of a lifetime at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. All right, Mark Madden and Cyrus from Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus are coming up. Hey, this is Chris Jericho inviting you to the first ever Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Picture this. Rock and roll, wrestling, comedy, live podcasting, all on the open ocean from October 27th to the 31st, 2018 from Miami to Nassau. I'm bringing Hall of Fame wrestlers, some of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, and putting the first wrestling ring on a cruise ship ever. Don't be a stupid idiot. Make the list. Check us out at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Talk is Jericho. Okay, so uh, Madden, what were you just saying about uh, about 18 months? Well, I, I always have kind of lobbied to be on the Jericho podcast because, you know, it's, it's the best podcast in wrestling. And you always said uh, 18 months from now. 18 months tops, and now here we are 18 months later, and I am just pleased as punch to be on the Jericho uh, podcast. Well, here's the thing, though. The reason why you're on is because Don Callis, who's also on the air with us, uh, Cyrus, um, suggested your name when I mentioned who we should get to do this tribute to Bobby Heenan. So this is all Cyrus's uh, uh, fault, and if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be on the show. You can't fool me, Jericho. You're still crazy about me. Uh, How do you feel about Madden Cyrus? When's the last time you saw him? Uh, last time I saw him, he was uh, scoping my then girlfriend at your wedding in Winnipeg. God bless him. <laughs> would, you, would you think going, she was... going? How old? He goes. He goes. He goes. How old is she? I'm like, she's 20. No, she's not. She's younger than that. Is that the one that that uh, we went uh, deep sea fishing with, and you were throwing up the whole time? Exactly. Yeah, not because of her, just because I'm seasick. But yes, the same. Man, did you uh, think? Well, that... I would think the smell would be similar. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think she was Filthy Amy or something like that, Madden? Is that what happened? Let's just leave Filthy Amy out of this. <laughs> so uh, uh, we're, on, we're on the line today, uh, obviously the passing of, of Bobby the Brain Heenan uh, very recently. And I wanted to just get a couple guys that had knew him in different ways. Uh, now, obviously, Madden, you worked with Bobby Heenan uh, a lot in WCW, am I correct? Yeah, I was uh, in the company with Bobby from 94 through 2000. Okay, so, uh, and Don, did you ever meet uh, Bobby? I actually never did. I just grew up watching him and then continued as a fan as I continued my career, so never had the pleasure. Okay, and I'm in the middle. I, I met him, but I don't, like, everyone's like, oh, I'm so sorry about your loss, and it's like, I don't really remember 
any real experiences with Heenan other than the fact that he called my matches for three years in WCW. Because as you know, Madden, it was a very much a, a, a class system in WCW, and, and Bobby would only come in for pay-per-views and nitros and not really talk to kind of the lower-end guys. Not that he was ever rude, but we were never really given access to those type of top-top uh, well, talents. And not only that, uh, Chris, but the announcers always had a separate dressing room, and Bobby just chose to stay in the dressing room most of the time. He didn't come out to catering very often or mingle or stuff like that. So I don't know if Bobby kept himself above everybody else in WCW. But I never sensed that Bobby was very happy to be there. He, he got paid a lot of money, mm-hmm. but Bobby always saw WCW as minor league. Oakland was the same way. And I don't mean to denigrate Bobby because he's the best you know, color guy and manager ever, but I based that opinion based on his work in WWE. He wasn't particularly good or inspired in, in WCW. He just didn't have the same flow or consistency. How did he end up in WCW from WWE? Did Vince let him go? They paid more money. Wow. So he was just one of the guys that came over specifically for the cash. Yeah, he was a merc, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's why he did it. Right, right, right. Now, Don, you said something that kind of kicked off this whole um, idea to do this this show, and you left me a voice message about Heenan. Do you remember what you said, and can you kind of paraphrase that, in your opinion, what you thought about Heenan as a a performer all around? Uh, Well, I... My point to you was, I think, that it's, it's my contention he's the greatest all-around performer in pro wrestling. He was, without a doubt, and I'm happy to debate anyone to the contrary, the greatest by a country-mile manager in the history of this business. Without a doubt, no one's close. I like Jesse better as a color guy, but Heenan would be a close 1A for me. And for a line, and I wouldn't argue with people like Mark who would say that he was the best because certainly you can make that case. I think he had the quickest wit and best sense of humor I've ever seen in the business. And, I, and, and also as a wrestler, uh, I saw him wrestle a couple of matches in AWA back in Winnipeg, and he was better than most of the guys in the back. And I remember Nick Bockwinkle when Bobby managed uh, Ray Stevens and Nick Bockwinkle, Nick Bockwinkle saying, you know, if if Ray or I are not here, Bobby can step in and do what we do. We can't do what Bobby does. Mm, if you just look at the athleticism of some of the um, bumps that he took, etc., I also think Bobby, people say, well, he, you know, he could have been a, a, a character actor in Hollywood. I actually think being in the wrestling business probably constrained him from that. I think it, it hurt him rather than help him, because I absolutely think he's one of the few guys who probably could have had a legitimate career in Hollywood as a comedic actor. Madden, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'd agree with uh, most of what Don said. Uh, I don't know if he's the best all-around performer in pro wrestling history, but I, I said he's one of the top five personalities. Mm. I feel very comfortable saying that. I also feel very comfortable saying he's the best all-around talker. Uh, today it's all catchphrases and doing the sing-along and repeating the same stuff over and over again ad nauseum, whereas Bobby just listened, looked, and reacted. And his wit was so spontaneous and so quick, he didn't have the scripted ad-libs like so many announcers have. He just played it by ear and was brilliant in the process. I I think that's what set Bobby apart from the rest. He wasn't particularly scripted, uh, but he still didn't lose anything for that. Some guys are scripted uh, because they have to be. That said, going off on a little bit of a tangent, I'd like to see some guys currently in WWE – whether it's announcers or wrestlers, whoever, get a chance to do it unscripted. But Bobby was always doing it off the cuff. 
Today, I know that the announcers in WWE have Vince in their ear and whoever in their ear during the entire broadcast. You wouldn't want to have done that with Bobby because it would have really constrained him. The Bobby you would have got wouldn't have been nearly as good. See, it was like that, though, with, with Flair and Piper as well. When you look at their promos in WWE, you know, post 2000, when, when the writers started coming into fray, Piper was never good at, at those scripted promos, and Flair was never good at those scripted promos. They weren't those type of guys that could do that, and I guarantee Heenan was the same. Because if you watch any Heenan, uh, just Google Bobby Heenan and pick anyone, anyone that you want, any promo that you see, or AWA, uh, WWE, WCW, it's all brilliant, and it's all so off the cuff, and you can tell that uh, just by the way he delivers his lines and the, and the thinking that he uses and the imagination that he has. Wrestling fans, I want to urge you to be certain to pick up your copy of the latest issue of Vern Gagne's Pro Wrestling Report featuring the fabulous ones right on the cover. But Bobby Heenan, what are you doing I out here? I told you last week when I came out here that I wanted to write a column. Well, I noticed they don't have it in this one. Well, it's going to be in the next edition of Vern Gagne's Pro Wrestling Update, Pro Wrestling Report. And you know, it's on the cover of this one. Who would want to buy this? The fabulous ones are on the cover. Vern Gagne's corner. What's that? A picture of him sitting in a rocking chair with a blanket around him? You got a story here about Rick Martel. You even did a column in here. That's like reading the walls at a bus station. We know the lion who? Nama, it was like an eye chart in the last name. Okay, if you want to answer, want me to answer some questions about wrestlers, wrestling fans, any question you want, you write, Dear Mr. Brain. Now, I understand it's to be called Weasel's Corner. It's not that. I told you that before. It's Dear Mr. Brain. So you want to sell this rag and you want to make it popular, you want to really make this thing like the New York Times, then I suggest they put my column in. Is that, that's exactly what they did. The next edition, my name, my column will be in here. I'll answer all your questions. I'll be glad to. And with this edition, you you can do with that. You can line your birdcage with it. Yeah, no doubt. Very quick. And uh, there wasn't a pause while he was thinking. He was, like, analyzing and, and, and looking, and by the time it was his turn to talk, he was always ready. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, um, when, when you're talking about what you said about WCW and WWE, was there a lot of guys that you felt came to WCW just for the money? Like, could, could Bobby have stayed working for Vince? Or do you think, because Vince was kind of going through a phase where he was getting rid of a lot of, a lot of the quote-unquote older guys that were you know, approaching their 40s. Well, I'm not sure of the timetable. Maybe Don would know, but... Uh... Bobby actually had a send-off on WWE TV when he was, like, thrown out of the building. And the fact that he had a send-off would indicate to me that Vince didn't know or Bobby hadn't yet agreed to go to WCW because otherwise Vince would have just, you know, had him disappear off TV en route to WCW like so many before him. I don't know if Bobby could have stayed or not. In terms of who came to WCW strictly for the money, Boy, that list is too long to go over in the mm-hmm. course of one podcast. But uh, Okerlund and Bobby were definitely of that ilk. Uh, they treated WCW like it smelled bad, and I'll be perfectly honest, occasionally, maybe often, gave less than their best effort because of it. Hmm, interesting. I, I, did you notice a difference, Don, between Heenan in WCW and WWE? Because I, I don't even really remember... The... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the, he had something special with Gorilla that you weren't going to replicate, so that was the first thing. And then second thing, I mean, so many times it came off small time. I remember when uh, Pillman kind of was doing the loose cannon thing, and he, he grabbed Bobby, and I, I gather Mark would know, I guess, you know, that Bobby wasn't pleased with being touched because of his neck, etc. So right. I, I think they beat the passion out of him there a little bit, and 
Having said that, I would have loved to have been on that list of people who went there just for the money because I would have been at peace with that. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, it wasn't exactly a small group. But, uh, yeah, I remember the Pillman thing. That was in 96 at a Clash of the Champions in Vegas. And Pillman was doing the uh, loose cannon, the shoot work, whatever you want to call it. And he grabbed Bobby at ringside, and Bobby said, what the F are you doing? And Bobby actually walked off the broadcast briefly before uh, he kind of calmed down and came back on and, and, and finished the show. Uh, and Bobby had no idea that was coming, obviously, and he was quite upset about it after the fact. One thing that kind of constrained Bobby and WCW as well was the NWO angle. The NWO angle put Bobby in a tough position, which he did not like. He was still a heel, but he had to be anti-NWO. Mm. So his character became uh, unfocused, and he got tired of that after not too long. So what you're saying is because they were kind of there to, 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 to invade the company, that anybody who was a WCW company man was supposed to be against that. Yes, exactly right. But Bobby still had to be a heel when talking about matches that were strictly within the context of WCW. So it, it was almost like he was going back and forth within the context of the same broadcast. And, and I know for sure he did not like that. When you talk about about uh, Heenan, who are some of the the, the the biggest pairings that you that come to mind right off the bat, the Don, of the guys that he managed? You know, for me, it's Nick Bockwinkel because that's what I grew up on, right. and that was a really unique situation because Bockwinkel did not need someone to talk with for him, one of the greatest talkers of all time. But somehow, the thing with Bobby was just magic, and the rest of the Heenan family as well. At that point in the AWA, I think that was really the Bockwinkel pairing was really the apex. In WWE, I mean, people remember the Andre stuff and whatnot. I love the work he did with Terry Taylor, uh, even with, with getting trying to get Steve Lombardi over, not the easiest thing in the world. You know, he so many of the things he did, it really didn't matter who you put with him. I'd recently watched him on Bob Costas from like the early nineties, I guess it would have been. And it was clearly totally spontaneous. And it was like this guy can get anyone over. And that's, I think, where they may have made a bit of a mistake with him as a manager. They gave him too many guys to manage, and then it just kind of got watered down. But that's what happens when you're good. I think that's probably why they gave him so many, because I, ju- I just watched the angle. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Mark, where... Because they used to have all those talk shows and stuff that they would do, um, but it was it was him and Terry Taylor, and I guess they had, been, had a, they were working with each other but had a little bit of an argument, and then Bobby slaps Terry in the face, and then when Terry goes for Bobby, Lombardi comes and attacks him as like the brand newly christened uh, Brooklyn Brawler. Do you remember that, Madden? Did you ever see that? Oh, yeah, that was the Red Rooster angle. Oh, that's what made him the Red Rooster. Yeah, no, Bobby was, was remaking Terry Taylor as the Red Rooster and bullying him on in the process, and, and Terry got sick of that, and that led to the incident you're talking about. Uh, yeah, Bobby could make something out of anybody. And uh, I agree with Don in that the Bockwinkle pairing was the best. Uh, uh, like Don said, Bockwinkle didn't need anyone to talk for him, but there was a, an alliance there. Like Nick was the 25-cent word guy. The obvious intellectual, Bobby was the schemer, the conniver, the double talker, but also very bright. I loved when Bobby teased Ric Flair's arrival in WWE. The stuff he did just cutting promos with the WCW belt, uh, that was a big moment for me because I'm a lifelong Flair guy, and I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here comes my guy, finally, to the big show. And even though they mangled once Rick got there, they never had the, the unification match, not really, between Hogan and Flair on 
uh, WWE pay-per-view. Bobby was so good. And then him and Hennig, uh, when Flair won the title at the Royal Rumble, Bobby's work on color during that Royal Rumble in 1992 uh, I think that was uh, one of very many high points during Bobby's career. What was, what was he saying when Flair was coming in? Because, Don, you were a big Flair guy as well, weren't you? He was promoting the real-world champion thing. And he would, you know, he would, it's a, the real-world champion. What I'm holding here is the belt that belongs to the real-world champion. Oh, no, not Hulk Hogan. Presently, the man that owns this belt is under contract to another organization. But in the near future, he may be arriving in the World Wrestling Federation. If so, it would be my honor and privilege to be the advisor of this man. Now, you want to compare this belt to Hulk Hogan's? That would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. You want to compare the man that wears this belt to Hulk Hogan? That would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. You see, Hulk Hogan is the World Wrestling Federation champion. The man that owns this belt is the real champion, Ric Flair. And actually, it's funny because I've ripped off so much Bobby Heenan um, now with the work I do with New Japan Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. as a color commentator. I have a loose affiliation with Kenny Omega, the world's greatest wrestler right now. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that people have said, well, what are you as advisor? And I always say, no, we're family, which is my shout out to Bobby. And also, I call the matches fairly straight, although I do play a heel, which is sort of unique right now in color commentary. One of the things I do, whenever Omega wrestles, I channel Bobby Heenan in that Royal Rumble. I am totally invested in my man, and it goes back to Bobby Heenan's secrets for being a good manager. Manage like a wrestler, wrestle like a manager. And what Bobby meant by that is every time your man uh, gets hurt, you should be feeling it, because that's your meal ticket. You're invested Hmm. in that. And when you do have to get in and wrestle, and Bobby, like myself, was a trained wrestler, don't take those nice bumps. Take bumps like you're a sack of shit, but fly. And mm. Bobby did that as well. And I think that um, that's something that's so lost. I know Vince hates managers and doesn't think they can draw, but Vince knows they can draw. There's just not a lot of guys like Bobby Heenan around that could do it. It's interesting when you say What did you hear him say that, wrestle like a manager and manage like a wrestler? I don't remember, but I, you and I have talked about this. In, in 03, I had an offer, not a great one, to write one of those kitschy management books that you see in airports, you know, Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hunter or whatever, right. and, and with a wrestling angle. And my thing was going to be manage like a wrestler, and then in brackets, wrestle like a manager. I remember thinking I would try to get Bobby Heenan to write the forward for that, just mm. never wrote the book. But <laughs> that was, because when I went to WWF as a manager, I had no friggin' clue how to manage, but I just did it based on hearing Bobby say that. So if someone did something to Kurgan, I mean, I registered as if I was getting hit. And those are good fundamentals to uh, for anyone that is trying to be a manager now. You have to think about it. This guy is your meal ticket. So you're invested, and you have to act that way. Yeah, when Bobby brought the WCW belt on WWE TV, he built it up so great. The line I always remember is, to compare this belt to the belt Hulk Hogan has would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. Horse to manure. compare the man who holds this belt to Hulk Hogan would be like comparing ice cream and horse manure. You want to compare the men? Fine. Then let's compare Hulk Hogan to Ric Flair. And when he said Ric Flair for the first time, I just popped. I went absolutely insane. And Bobby did such a good job teasing Rick coming in. And then the WWE dropped the ball. Like I said, they never really did the unification match between Hogan and Flair, and as good a job as Bobby did building up the belt, like Gorilla would make fun of it, demean it, call it a toy, but Bobby was brilliant. That was one of Bobby's finest hours 
and the chemistry between him and Flair on TV, and later when Kurt Hennig made it a trio, the respect between all of them was so evident that that got transmitted to the viewer, that they were a real team and legitimately invested in each other. By the way, we heard some startling news this week from the camp of Ric Flair. The members of the team, along with their captain, are standing by. Let's get their thoughts. I told you when I came here, I'd be with the greatest mind in the WWF. Well, thank you. I have moved up now in the organization. I am now the financial advisor. But right now, I'd like to introduce a new member, a man who is going to be the executive consultant to the real world champion. Mr. Perfect! Yeah! Come on down! <laughs> All right. I'm here for one reason, to make sure everything is absolutely and this Wednesday night, the buck stops here. What it all boils down to is survival. And you're looking at the greatest group of survivors you've ever seen. Who <laughs> Piper, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> it's, it's, there's so much stuff talking about here that I want to kind of bring up. Another thing that I thought was really interesting as well uh, of what you were talking about was the athleticism of Bobby Heenan, but bumping as if he was, you know, like there's the, there's the Jim Cornette bump, right? Which is obviously a guy who doesn't really know about wrestling, but he, he flips and flops and flies. He's a great bumper as well, but Heenan was almost like an artist in, in bumping like shit on purpose. Uh, he, he bumped like Enzo Amore, but it was intentional. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to get me heat somewhere or not. But, <laughs> But, uh, no, no, I mean, uh, the thing with Bobby, I just sent you, Chris, a, a clip of uh, yes. Shawn Michaels chasing Bobby. And I will tell you, I bet there's five guys in the whole business right now that could do that bump almost as well as Bobby did. And Bobby wasn't working out and doing CrossFit and everything else. So his athleticism as a worker was, he didn't have a great body, but he was phenomenal. And I don't know why exactly he never pursued it more, probably because he wasn't a huge guy. But, man, could he work his ass off. And when Ray Stevens and Nick Bockwinkle say so, that's pretty good recommendation, I think. Yeah, there's that clip, man. You see he takes this majestic bump over the top rope that I don't know if I could have taken it when I was you know, 25 years old. It, he just soars over that thing, barely grabs it by his hand, and lands on his feet. You know, it was in like loafers. The, in loafers and a, and a sequin jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, when you, were, when you were working there, did you ever commentate with Bobby on the show? No, I would have loved to have. Uh, I was around Bobby a lot, but Bobby kind of kept his own counsel. Not that he was you know, uh, dismissive of me. In fact, he was actually very encouraging. And any word of encouragement from him was, was hard currency in my book. But like I said, Bobby just didn't seem to be altogether that happy in WCW. I think he and Oakland were very close, but maybe that was a bad thing for both of them because, you know, misery loves company, but it also gets more miserable as a result of that company. But, no, I never commentated with Bobby, and I, I really would like to have. Do you have any stories of times that you were with him or, or things that you saw that, that, that happened? No, not really. I mean, Bobby told a lot of stories. Uh, I know this is like a, an R-rated podcast, many of which I still can't repeat here. <laughs> but, uh, no, Bobby was just a good guy. Like, uh, well, you know, even though I have a big mouth and never stop talking, when I was around guys like Bobby or Terry Funk or Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair, I just listened. Mm-hmm. And Bobby told so many great stories about the AWA and Bachwinkle and Stevens. I really liked to hear them talk about Bachwinkle 
and his relationship with him both in and out of the ring because I thought that those two were just fascinating together. I grew up in WWE territory, but when tape trading became popular and I started seeing Bockwinkle and Heenan, I just thought that this is about as good as it gets. It's an interesting thing because Don and I did grow up in that AWA atmosphere and probably saw a lot of, you know, it was it was interesting to see. Like, I remember every month we would go to the AWA shows. Did you do that too, Cyrus? Did you go every month to the shows or, or when you could afford it? Or? Yes, every, every single month. And that's when they came, right? That's not just a, a, an embellished memory. It was basically monthly that they came to the arena, right? Oh, every month. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was a big town for them, actually. Right. So they would come every month and then... Uh, and one month, it just switched from AWA to WWE, and there was no warning, there was no fanfare, they just basically took right over. But you could see all those guys that were in AWA that ended up going to, to the WWE, from Hogan to you know even Tito Santana and King Haku and, and then Oakland. And, but when Bobby Heenan went, Heenan and Hogan, to me, were the two biggest jumps from AWA to WWE, it seemed. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think Hogan and Heenan had great chemistry together. I thought they were each other's best opponent, just in terms of the way they opposed each other, the, 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 the vocabulary, the verbiage between the two. And one thing I want to emphasize, I haven't seen enough people say since Bobby passed what made him great as a color guy, and for that matter as a manager. Bobby would put the faces over via frustration. Like you'd hear him say stuff like, Hulk Hogan is so big, he's so strong, he's so pure. What gives him the right? Who the heck does he think he is? Mm-hmm. He never healed at the expense of the babyface's credibility, which is such an art to walk that tightrope. And I'll be blunt, that was my biggest weakness. I, I would put myself over when I did TV at the expense of the babyface, and I tried not to, but I wasn't subtle or clever enough to do it any other way. Bobby was a master of that. That is something. It's, it's funny, actually. The the one thing I ever learned from Bulldog Bob Brown, which is a, a rarity uh, that Don and I both started off with him. But he said, you know, you always put your opponent over uh, in a promo, always, because I remember I called Bob Brown a, a, an old man. What was I, nineteen or twenty years old? You know, Bob Brown, you old man, you're so old. And he's like, listen. He goes, you put your opponent over every time because when I beat you, and I will be beating you, you just got beaten by an old man. Uh, and that looks really bad on you. And Bobby was great at, like you said, that was maybe kind of an old school art form that I think a lot of guys once again forget nowadays too. That you never want to completely bury your opponent because if you do, you know, first of all, why are you fighting him in the first place? Yeah. Second of all, if, if you lose, you just lost to a piece of shit. There's lots of ways to do it, and it is a lost art form. When I was in ECW, my main nemesis was Rob Van Dam. When I was doing promos or color. I never ever said one time in all the promos I did on Rob, Rob's a bad wrestler, Rob's this. I would always say Rob is an egomaniac, he's unreliable, he's arrogant, he's cocky, he makes too much money, but he's one of the greatest athletes in the world, blah, blah, blah. Right. Same thing calling an Okada Kenny Omega match. You, you say, you know, you acknowledge that Okada is a great wrestler, but my frustration on behalf of my man Kenny Omega is the fact that it's a conspiracy by New Japan Pro Wrestling as they try to expand onto the global stage to not have Kenny Omega leading this. They want to have a Japanese blah, 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 but you're still putting the guy over. This is, to me, commentary 101, including selling for the wrestlers. Another thing commentators don't do, I see wrestlers come right up to commentators when they're sitting ringside, and the commentators don't flinch. Mm-hmm. If this were a shoot, 
you would flinch. I flinch all the time and put people over that are half my size because I'm not a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what is lost and part of the problem across the board. But with announcers and with people trying to be managers, no one wants to show ass anymore. Do you agree with that, Madden? Well, the only thing I was ever good at was flinching. <laughs> so, so, no, I, I definitely right agree now. with that. And uh, I don't get the WWE color because it's just it all sounds the same to me. You could pick Bobby out of a crowd of commentators, even back during the golden age of color commentary, which was right about that time with some of the guys like Roddy Piper doing heel work in Georgia and and stuff like that. But, yeah, Bobby was willing to make himself subservient to the people he was talking about without damaging himself too much. Again, it was just a tightrope. Bobby didn't want to be cool or cheered, which is the heel disease for the past, like, 20 or so years. He was good at being funny, but he was smarmy at the same time, a very unlikable kind of funny. He just knew how to be an extremely effective heel. It's interesting, too, because I'm watching, the once again, like even, you know, WrestleMania where they're in Las Vegas and they're outside and, you know, Vince <laughs> had all those guys dressed in togas, which was ridiculous. But Bobby comes out like on a mule riding backwards. Like he was the butt of the <laughs> jokes for those type of things. But yet he was still so smarmy. and He kept his heat by being a, f- a buffoon at times, but then also doing something really evil, like you know, causing Hogan to lose the title or whatever it might be. So he could play both those characters, which is a very hard thing to do. Chris, you'll remember from Winnipeg, Bobby Heenan wearing the weasel suit. Yes. And not only wearing the weasel suit, tripping over the tail and taking a bump in the ring. I mean, just to get it over. I mean, he was a master. Well, and he did that in the WWE as well, and that's another thing, the whole weasel gimmick to where you know he was actually wrestling in a weasel suit, and that followed him throughout his whole career as well. Well, they got Heenan into that weasel suit. Wally Carball, promoter, gets into the ring. Heenan's refusing. Now Heenan's complaining. Heenan goes to get out of the ring. Bobby, you talked earlier about Bobby bumping. Bobby did those really brief weasel suit matches with Ultimate Warrior back in WWE. Mm-hmm. And Bobby made them okay. <laughs> it could only be so okay for that length and all things considered. But Bobby, Bobby could make something potentially bad and, and make it pretty good. And boy, that, that's a talent that, that, that pays off in any business. How did, the, how did he end up in the ring with Ultimate Warrior? Do you remember the storyline? Uh, no, it was the typical, you know, Bobby cuts heel promos on Warrior. Warrior gets mad. He did something to screw him at some point. You know, it, it was kind of like the original Weasel Suit feud, I think, Don, help me out here, was with Greg Gagne, correct? Correct, yes, exactly. And they just create an issue between the two, and, you know, because he gets called Weasel by the fans, and the babyface calls him Weasel, and you just want to get him in that suit. Right, yeah, and then, and then the, you know, and then for the rest of his career... All he had to do was, like, you know, one person say, you know, like, oh, who called me a weasel? 
Well, no one called you Weasel. No, someone called me Weasel, and then suddenly everyone's calling him Weasel. You know, well, yeah, it, I used it, to I used to do that all the time uh, in this last run in 2016 when I was doing something, and I would just uh, be doing a promo, and I would just look into the audience, at no one in particular, just go, "What, what did you say? What, what did you just say to me? I suck." I do not suck because I'm not from Poughkeepsie or whatever. And then everyone would start saying you suck. But like, you know, looking at the, at the guy that's not there, he would do that all the time. Would you just call me like, there's, who are you pointing at? This guy, him, who? He just called me weasel. You know, it's a great trick. Yeah. And the way you set up the weasel suit thing, back then everything was so wrestling 101. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I would go to the, to the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, which was every month. You know, and a new heel would come in to fight Bruno. And if the first match drew, they would do like a DQ finish and go to the second match. If the second match drew, they would do some other kind of screwy finish and they would go to a cage match. Yeah. And, and if at any point it didn't draw, they would just put the brakes on and go to something else. You knew it was coming. It was nonetheless great. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And uh, it's actually another thing that just popped in my head as I was just thinking. So last year I did this bit where uh, my, it's actually right before Kevin Owens became my tag team partner where I said that Jim and Marvin Luter was going to be my tag team partner. Just a name that I just like, well, who's your tag team partner? G- Jim and what? Jim, Jim and who? Jim and Marvin Luter. Bobby used to do that all the time. Do you guys remember when like he wore that neck collar for like, you know, 20 years? Uh, I think it was maybe, I think Ken Patera attacked him and gave him a whiplash. So he wore the, the, the neck brace and everyone like Monsoon would always yell at him and say like you know like oh, that's not even real you don't even need that and he kept talking about it. I remember the guy's name was like Doctor Brandenburg from Dusseldorf, Germany, who was the guy that was like yeah, Doctor Brandenburg. Him, had, What's that? He, they had him examined on TV and the X-rays and the whole thing, and it was an X-ray of an eighty-year-old woman's neck or something, and the doctor outed him. Doctor Brandenburg uh, from Dusseldorf. No, but he's like Bobby had that way of being completely like you were saying about the who said weasel completely indignant like people were disrespecting him and it's funny because again i i give away my secrets of all the stuff i steal from bobby but um when new japan went to la uh we did a, a pregame show and uh and, I, and it was the building was problematic in terms of dressing rooms so i made a comment like you know has anyone seen my dressing room you know i was told that i was gonna have my own dressing room with cristal and caviar and blah 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 and, and I was very upset, and Kevin Kelly's playing the straight man, and I started saying, well, I'm going to have to call Barry Bloom right now. So I called Barry. And so then Barry Bloom became a, an invisible character on the show. So it was my way of, compla- of, my way of complaining uh, that, that I wasn't getting treated properly, and this is an affront because don't they know who I am? I mean, it's all pure Bobby Heenan. Sure it is. Remember, his, <laughs> that's great. His, uh, his secretary was Miss Betty. And he was like, I'll get Miss, right. get Miss Betty on the line. But the thing is, he would do it, once again, going back to this acting cred that he had, he would do it with pure commitment, like totally straight, not laughing, but just making you think, like, does he really have a Miss Betty? Like, who, who's Miss Betty? But he just had that, that knack of being a buffoon, but selling it very seriously, which enabled him to keep his heat and made him come across so much more of an asshole. And Bobby never cracked up. Right. He never broke character. I mean, how many guys in wrestling can say they never, ever for a second broke character? But to my recollection, Bobby never did. And uh, one of my favorite memories of Bobby, they had Sherry Martell uh, dressed up as Peggy Sue to be with the Honky Tonk Man. And she was wearing these huge sunglasses with this tight sweater. And the camera panned in on uh, just above the sunglasses to just below the boobs, right? Right. 
And Bobby goes, oh, my God, look at those big, big shades. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I thought I knew where he was going. And he didn't go there, which meant he really did go there, which is Bobby Heenan all the way. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I vividly recall the signing of the contract for your title shot at Hulk Hogan in WrestleMania 3. You said you taught Hogan a lot, but you had still one more lesson to give him in the final chapter in that big title match at the Silver Dome in Pontiac on the 29th. You want to talk about the final chapter? I'll be glad to talk about the final chapter. The final chapter in the life and history and the career of Hulk Hogan. See, because it's over, Hogan. I know it, you know it, everybody knows it. You had three good years, you can't laugh at that. You were lucky, you made some money, you got a cartoon, you got some dolls, you rode good, you had it good. But you know you can't beat this man. Toughest man in the world, nobody can beat this man. You think with all that blonde hair and a bunch of little hulksters out there and behind you, you ripping that t-shirt off and shaking in your pythons, you think you can beat him, dummy? It can't be done by you, ten guys like you, or a hundred people like you. This is the next heavyweight champion of the world. Get ready to swallow it, Hogan. It's all over. Andre, what about that, that final lesson? You don't understand, do Wait you, dummy? I do the I'll talking. I'll conduct these interviews here if you don't mind. Oh, maybe I will conduct them. How do you like that? This, this is Talk is Jericho. Something that you guys were talking about, I, I want to just ask you guys. You guys are both very, very good color commentators and haven't worked in the business for a while until, Don, you just came back and doing it for New Japan. What was your, uh, in each guy's answer, what was your kind of mindset for being a color commentator? And what's the secret and the technique to being a good color commentator? I know we've kind of touched on it before, but, but when you guys got into it, what did you try and, and, and do? I think I was, I was sort of thrust into it in WWE. I had done it before for Tony Candelo on an independent level. But, um, and, and in an ECW, I mean, when I went there, they made me the color commentator. And I, I, at first, I wasn't sure what to think of it because I was like, oh, I've always been a performer. What I loved about color commentary is the boys love you if you do a good job because right. they know you're out there getting them over. It really felt me, to me more like being on a team than when you're just out there doing your individual thing. Now, the real key to a good, a good and valuable color commentator is if you are able to get yourself over at the same time as getting the talent over, not only not taking away from the talent in that process, but actually enhancing the talent, because what you will end up with is a color commentator who's over on their own, which gives them more credibility, whether it's a heel or a babyface or a tweener or whatever. That's the secret to walk in that line that's what Jesse did, that's what Bobby did, and that's what so many of them now can't do anymore. Hmm. Well, well, first of all, I'm not sure I was that good. I was very uneducated on how to do it. I only knew what I had seen. Uh, but what I tried to do was, it, it depended on the match, and maybe that wasn't a good way to do it. But when Goldberg came out, 
Mm-hmm. I treated it like the Super Bowl. I did it ultra straight, like a legitimate sporting event. Uh, and then I, it kind of trickled down from there. Now, during the time I did it, 2000 WCW, things had frankly deteriorated. I'm not using that for an excuse, but they had a match between, I think, Kidman and Shane Douglas that was Viagra on a pole. Oh, my gosh. Now, how the hell am I supposed to call Viagra on a pole except to make it farcical? Right. So I made it farcical. After the broadcast, uh, I, I forget who it was, whether it was Eric Bischoff or Keith Mitchell, somebody like that says, you were too silly during the Viagra on a pole match. And I said, you're right. I should have called it like Rogers and O'Connor at Comiskey Park, right? <laughs> uh, so it, it just depended on this, like, like Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. <laughs> right. I mean, come on. What are you supposed to do there? But what, what I tried basically to do is to be funny because that was my experience. I've done a radio show for three hours a day, you know, for the best part of 25 years. And what I try to do there is just to be funny because that's what holds the people's attention. In retrospect, I wish I would have gone to guys like Bobby and maybe been coached more, but I'm not really sure Bobby was up for that. Uh, and he's the one guy in the company. Tony Schiavone did some coaching with me, and I always really liked working with Tony both in and out of the ring. But as a color commentator, what I think you should do is get the talent over. I mean, that's 101, but I think it's, it's fairly obvious. And I also think you should – Comment on the action as opposed to tell stories. I don't like this prevalency today that you should tell a story when you're, you know, whether it's play-by-play or color, because the story always ends up being the same. Like, if I had a buck for every time on a typical WWE broadcast today where the announcer said, this is deeply personal, I'd, like, end every show with, like, 40 or 50 bucks. That's their, <laughs> that's their go-to line. This is deeply personal. It's between these two men on a level that transcends wins and losses and belts and yada, yada. I think you should call it, like, a sporting event. But uh, apparently I'm wrong because I haven't done it since 2000. I, I think the other thing to remember with it, too, is um, Jim Ross taught me a long time ago, talk in sound bites. So don't talk for too long, although I do that on the podcast every week. Mm-hmm. Um, don't talk for too long. Get get your get your stuff in, and you know uh, and that's the best way, in a sense, to kind of uh, to kind of be able to get the talent over. Um, and also, don't be afraid to lay out. Let the act. Sometimes the action doesn't need a lot of description. Sometimes Absolutely, it yeah. just needs a reaction from you. I'll see guys get chopped, and I'll go, "Oh God!" Like because that's kind of my shoot reaction if I see something stiff. So you don't always have to be telling stories. You don't always have to be talking. Sometimes it's just about laying out. It's just about reacting. And one of the really important things, that's the most important thing in many respects, is go and talk to the talent. Like when I go to Japan, I spend most of the day in the back or even at the hotel. I'll talk to the boys. Hey, what do you got going on? What's happening with this feud? Anything you want me to get over? And that, that helps them, but it also helps me to do my job to know what's going on. Um, those things are, are super, super uh, important for sure. I agree with all that. And I, I tried to talk to the talent, too, to pick up stuff from them as often as I could. But, Don, you made a great point about laying out. I used to call it using silence as a dramatic device, mm-hmm. which doesn't happen enough in today's wrestling. But uh, where, where you're more equipped to do that with New Japan is you're a two-man booth. I think three-man booths are the death of that concept. A two-man booth, the guys can work together. I'll be blunt. When you're in a three-man booth, you're just trying to get your stuff in. You're just trying to, Mm. you know, make sure you talk as much as the other guy and make sure they know you're there. 
Who's... The other thing to remember, too, I think that's super important that I've learned, and I've made the mistake and lost my voice because of it at times, is you have to pace yourself. If you're calling a three-hour pay-per-view, and I did this at the start of the G1 tournament last year. I was so excited to be in Tokyo the first night. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, yelling and screaming like Joey Styles in ECW for a friggin' dark match with young boys, mm-hmm. and I blew my voice out. It's like, you case. Look at what the matches are. Look at how the whole card is put together and save your screaming and yelling for for the main event that's going 45 minutes for the title. You have to pace yourself as a color commentator, and you have to measure how how much does this match require, some comedy, whatever you're going to do. But you can't just go a million miles an hour the whole time, just like a wrestling match. You know, it's interesting to me, you're talking about the the, uh, brilliance of Bobby Heenan as a commentator and as a manager. If, if, If a Bobby Heenan came along today, he wouldn't be allowed to do either in the WWE, the way that the system has changed. Oh, no question. He'd have Vince in his ear the whole time, and it would frustrate him. And at any rate, you wouldn't get the best out of him. I hear Corey Graves, who I think is excellent. Yeah, he's good. And he's not as good as he could be because somebody's always in his ear, and because he has to adhere to this notion that do this, do that, paint by numbers, and he can't expand beyond that. But I think that kid's really good and could be a lot better. Here's the thing that I don't understand is for years they didn't do that, and the color commentary was better. It's the same thing with the boys' promos. Before they started scripting everything, the Mm -hmm. promos in general were better. None of us in wrestling are Academy Award-winning actors. So why wouldn't, if I'm not a good actor... Why would you not let me just try to be myself instead of saying, well, you're this character, here's some lines. Really good working actors sometimes can't pull off verbiage. So why would you thrust that on a pro wrestler? I've never, in ECW, Paul Heyman never gave me one note in two years of anything I did on commentary, much less being in my ear for anything. And of course, in Japan, I'm not clear that they even always understand what we're saying. Mm -hmm. They just see Twitter, the reaction is good. So I think that would, to Mark's point, be very challenging um, to have someone in, in your ear. And someone yelling in my ear, I would probably walk out. Yeah, well, in WCW, uh, by the time I got on TV, Vince had been in the announcer's ears in WWE for a few years, so the, the idea trickled down. So I used to have guys in my ear. Like who? Uh, Terry Taylor and Ed Ferrara, the two I remember. I think really? there were some other ones. But I told them, look, it, if you don't have confidence in me to do this job come out here and do it. Mm-hmm. No offense, but, but I, I'd like to fail or succeed on my own merits. And they were very amenable to that. And the compromise we came up with was, look, if something's going on, you need steered in a different direction. As a member of the creative team, tell me that, and I'll be glad to do it. In terms of witticisms and one-liners, just give me mic drops. Just give me stuff that's foolproof. But, but don't intrude too much, because I think the broadcast suffers for it. And that's the road we went down, and it was a lot easier to deal with after that. Who was your partner uh, when you were there, Madden, on the booth? Well, I started out with Shivani mm-hmm. in a two-man booth. And then uh, when, they, when they did, remember they did the rebirth of the show where yeah. uh, Russo and Bischoff both came back? Mm-hmm. Then it was a three-man booth with me, Shivani, and Scott Hudson. Gotcha. So was Bobby there all the way until the end of WCW? Like when, when, the, when it ended, he was done? Well, I wasn't. Uh, okay. I left about two months before, but I believe Bobby was there till the very end, yes. It's interesting. I was just watching Bobby's uh, Hall of Fame speech uh, when he got into the W Hall of Fame. I don't know if you guys have seen that or not, but it was right when he was uh, he had just had um, chemo for his throat cancer in 2004. And first of all, he, he was starting to get a very slurred speech, but man, 
It is hilarious. It's so well done. He does this one bit where he says, yeah, I was uh, a lot of different guys in the WWF. And he's like, oh, did I say F? Let me tell you something about wildlife. He goes, when I first came to this company, they had uh, a mad dog. They had a junkyard dog. They had the British Bulldogs. They had uh, a bird. They had a, they had a puppy. They had insects. They had killer bees. They had snakes. And only that, I was the weasel doing commentary with the gorilla. You want to talk about wildlife? When I came here, they had, they had the three freebirds. They had the junkyard dog, mad dog, two bulldogs, a guy with a, a Matilda, another dog. Uh, there was a junkyard dog. You had insects. You had two killer bees. You had serpents. You had a guy with a snake. You had a Hawaiian guy with a lizard. Uh, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And you're ready for this? And to top it off, I'm the weasel doing commentary with the gorilla. Totally tore the house down. It was great. But you, <laughs> but you could start to see that slurring. And I want to talk about uh, how ironic it was that one of the greatest commentators of all time uh, one of the greatest talkers of all time then loses his 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 ability to speak for the last what ten years of his life. Well, uh, Chris, I just read a great story about that. You know, Bobby, even after he lost his uh, speech, still did like you know conventions and autograph shows and and whatnot to sign autographs and you know meet the fans as best he could, right? Mm-hmm. And and his routine was if somebody would give his you know wife Cindy you know the money to pay for the autographed picture or whatever. And occasionally he would take the money and hold it up to the light and stretch it out and obviously to inspect it to see if it was counterfeit or not. So Bobby, even you know, robbed of speech, found a way to still be Bobby Heenan, which I'm sure those who met him got a great kick out of. Did you just see him recently, Don? He said at a signing? Yeah, I was at a signing in Winnipeg back in uh, February and uh, at a table with Lanny Poffo. Not a lot of traffic there for Lanny and I, but, uh, <laughs> but I did get a Lanny Poffo promo for four hours, which was fun. He's a great guy. Sure. Uh, but no, Bobby was kind of the main draw, him and the Brain Busters, and uh, I wanted to go talk to Bobby, but the lineup was so long for him that you couldn't get near him, sadly. But yeah, he didn't he didn't look well, and, and he, I don't think he has for a few years, right? Well, so didn't he have that same, that. he had the same surgery that Roger Ebert had, where they basically had to take off his jaw, his lower jaw, right? Yes, yeah. Is that what it was, right? Cause... Yeah, it wasn't quite as extreme as Roger Ebert's, Chris. Yeah. But he didn't look like Bobby anymore. Right, because you, you start getting that kind of looking like a mannequin or something along those lines. Like your, your face, facial structure changes completely, so you almost look like a, like a puppet version of yourself or something along those lines. Yeah, it, it was, like, like I said, he was... Uh, Sting posted a picture of he and Bobby on Twitter that was relatively recent, and uh, it just didn't look like Bobby. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I saw the last time I saw him, which was funny because, like, I like I said, I never really had a, a huge relationship with him. Uh, I remember how, how excited I was when he com- he commentated my first match in WCW, and it was actually pretty funny because I was working Alex Wright. And it's when uh, Bischoff was just incessantly push- putting me over. This was 96 when, when Austin was the biggest babyface in the company as a heel. And I come in with this long blonde hair, and they were trying to like do the southern babyface thing. So out of date, and people just didn't like me right off the bat. But Bischoff was like, hey, he's such a good guy, a great person, and he's such a nice guy. And Bobby's like, geez, you're going to co-sign a loan for him as well? <laughs> 
Just hearing him say that, like, he killed me right off the bat. And then the finish of the match was I jump off the top rope. Uh, so Alex jumps off the top rope to, to give me a dive. I move. He hits himself on the rail. And instead of taking the win, I refuse to take the count on victory because I'm a I'm an honorable guy. And Bobby's like, geez, this guy's a pussy. Like, a wuss. He goes, what a wuss. Take the win when you can get it, kid. And I was like, oh, there goes my babyface career because he's totally right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know and then so anyways i went and saw him uh, a couple of years ago i did a signing in new york and he was there like you said in the condition he was in and for whatever reason i just thought like i'm gonna go say hi to bobby and he's gonna be so happy to see me and i went to say hi to him and he looked like looked at me like he had never seen me before and totally big leagued me <laughs> so that was my last uh, yeah my last uh view with bobby heenan but uh just, as we get near the end here i'm just gonna read out some of his famous quotes that i just looked up um, and the, the good one, obviously the classic is you listen to me, you'll go to the top. You don't listen to me. You'll never be heard from again. Like that was, I remember him saying that a bunch of different times to the different, uh, people that he had managed. Uh, my favorite line was a friend in need is a pest. <laughs> but, uh, but the thing about Bobby was like when, when I prepared to do my radio show the day after Bobby passed and I did a TV show the night he passed, I was trying to think of like catchphrases and again, there were a few things that Bobby said, you know, again and again, but not very many. Right. He was just so, so spontaneous. So I, I stuck to the tried and true. I called everybody humanoids for three hours. Humanoid I, was... I, heard, uh, I heard him on, uh, there's a great interview with him, probably from late 80s, on Bob Costas, uh, when he had a show back then. And Costas was pretty pretty clever guy, obviously, pretty, pretty witty. And Bobby just totally overwhelmed him. And I remember <laughs> Costas is asking to shoot questions well. I see you're, you had a guy named Hercules, and now you've sold him. Do you think it's right to sell a human being? And, and Bobby's like, oh, you know, he had a great life. We had him chained up in the backyard and blah, 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 <laughs> totally straight-faced. What about this deal with Hercules Hernandez? I thought it was, frankly, in my role as an observer and a journalist, I thought it was despicable when you tried to sell Hercules Hernandez to the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, to sell another man into slavery. Thank you. When Steinbrenner makes the trade or sells somebody, does he confer with the man? No, he's gone. He's on that bus out of town. What I did is I, I took Hercules as far as I could take this poor guy. I did as much for him as I could possibly do. He didn't have it up here to be a member of the family. DiBiase needed somebody to be a slave. He says, hey, you got this big dummy. Here's some cash, a good amount of cash. I said, I'll take it. I had Hercules a nice little positional I set up. He could have been out back on a chain out in the yard. He could have done a lot of nice things. But then he turned on me. It wasn't like I just cast him aside without giving him another job. He had a position in life. As the smartest man in sports, what advice would you give me about managing my own career? <laughs> you may be a little too far gone. But like your show. See, I have my own talk show. Called, okay. I'm the star of it. It's called Bobby Heenan. Starring Bobby Heenan. The Bobby Oh, Heenan so this show. isn't the one you do with Gorilla Monsoon. Who? I thought he was your partner. No, he's my co-host. But your show is called Bob Costas Later. It's just later. No, it's later with Bob Costas. Doesn't matter. It's still later. Yeah. Later is something you tell an ugly girl on a date. Later. <laughs> what you should do is call it the Bob Costas show. And then the other thing he said was, uh, he says, Costas asked him why he didn't like the fans. And he, he kind of said, well, your typical fan leaves the house wearing one brown sock and one white sock, and he's got another pair just like it at home. <laughs> <laughs> here's another one that he says, uh, and you've actually, here's another thing that you stole, Don. Uh, uh, when you talk about your, uh, your, actually the quote is, I know all about cheating. I've had six very successful marriages. 
I've only had four. Yeah, that's what you use, right? <laughs> that's you know, your your third ex-wife. You know, that's that's the one. That's right. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is a good one too. You win some and you lose some. Unless you're Virgil, then you lose them all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually glad you brought that up because I managed to run into Virgil like every 15 minutes here in Pittsburgh, and invariably he wants something for free. <laughs> What's he asking for now? <laughs> oh, it just, it just, you know, and I like the guy, but like I've done some like, you know, signings with him. Like I, I did a signing about two years ago, mm-hmm. and I was at one table and Flair was at the table next to me. And believe it or not, I can do a signing in Pittsburgh and attract, okay, really nobody shows up. But, but Virgil will show up without a table, and without a booking, and he'll just insinuate himself like into kind of where you're at. And then he says, hey, man, give me a T-shirt. Hey, man, give me this. Hey, man, give me that. He is just so Virgil all the time. <laughs> uh, here's another one. He's talking about Kerry Von Eric, the Texas Tornado. And Bobby says, he's the only man I know who can hide his own Easter eggs. <laughs> You have to think about that one for a second. He's so stupid that he hides them and then forgets where they put them. <laughs> oh, man. And then the last one is the two things that scare me most about wrestling fans is that they're allowed to vote and allowed to reproduce. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the uh, you know, a, little, a couple last little things. Why do you think now that, that Vince doesn't want to use managers anymore? I think that even when I was there, when I went in and didn't know how to do it, I went and asked Cornette, who was part of the booking committee at the time, you know, any tips on being a good manager? And he said, oh, he goes, don't even bother. They don't let managers get over here. And I don't know that they ever really did. I mean, they sort of did with Bobby, but managers were often very two-dimensional or even one-dimensional characters. And Vince just clearly doesn't think that they draw. But Vince knows that they can draw because he would have seen what guys like Bobby Heenan or Jim Cornette had done. But he clearly has a block about it. In fact, one of my issues there was that I was going out as a manager and kind of getting over on my own. And it was like, Hey, that's not the paradigm for a manager here. You're not supposed to be getting over where to me, if you get over as a manager, you then are going to be more credible for trying to get your talent over. But that's not clearly not how they've ever viewed it. It's interesting too, because I guess the, the one exception is, you know, Paul Heyman as the advocate for Brock Lesnar, and then that really works. And actually, they did do that dynamic as well, kind of the Bockwinkle Heenan thing when they had CM Punk and, and, and Heyman together, two guys that can talk that had really good chemistry. Well, I remember way back when Vince Sr. had the three wise men Grand Wizard, Lou Albano, and Freddie Blassie, and they would be the guys managing every heel, bringing in every heel. And they, I'm not sure they were that expensive because they didn't go on the road with the talent. They didn't do house shows. They just, you know, work TV. Uh, perhaps Vince, you know, Jr., I, well, not Jr., Vincent Kennedy McMahon, perhaps he doesn't like managers because he wants to do things differently than his father did. Mm. Uh, maybe he feels that the manager can't get in the ring and deliver a payoff. I, I've, I've heard all those kinds of things discussed, but you've got to go back to square one when it comes to the value of managers. There are always going to be X amount of wrestlers that can't talk and need somebody to talk for them. And managers have served and still could serve an invaluable purpose in that regard. Hmm. Here's where the scripted promos and the quote-unquote writer, the poindexters in the back who have never taken a bump in the business or drawn a dime have screwed this up. Back in the day, you had a guy who didn't talk that well. The solution was put him with Bobby Heenan, put him with Paul Heyman. Now the solution is... Get the writers to write them some lines. 
Mm-hmm. And that has been a detriment to the business and to the boys in a, in a massive, massive way. Because in my view, you're just creating more bad promos and you're, you're thrusting production and writing at people who don't yet even have necessarily the confidence in some cases to be themselves. So it's a very flawed uh, uh, paradigm, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, you're right about that. And once again, like I said, if a guy like like that came around today, he would never even have a shot. You know, both from the commentating standpoint and from the managerial standpoint. And once Heyman, or you know, once Brock leaves or Heyman leaves, whichever goes first, we might never see another manager again because it's not like they're they're uh, you know training them at the performance center in Orlando. I don't think we'll ever see another. I, I hate the hurt the term hardcore, but maybe never another hardcore heel color commentator again. I, I think Corey Graves is kind of like a, a subtle heel on some occasions. But like when Lawler came back, mm-hmm. it sounded like a wrestling broadcast again. Right. JBL, who I'm not the biggest fan of necessarily, but when he was on TV, it sounded like a wrestling broadcast. Now I'm not sure what it sounds like. It sounds so ambiguous. It's not a sports broadcast. It doesn't sound like a wrestling broadcast. It's so many shades of gray and just so meh. Nothing about it's memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said, I guess it's just the evolution of the business and the way things are now. Because now, like you said, you see that you got guys on there like David Otunga, or you got uh, Percy Watson, or you got you know, Byron Saxton. And it's like they were barely even wrestlers, you know. And 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 you know, I think Cole at least has a little bit of steam, but he's you've heard him and he's lost his credibility so many times. It's just the way of the world now for a wrestling announcer. Just to wrap it up, uh, what uh, last question for you guys? Favorite Bobby Heenan memory of all time, and I'll go first. For me, it was when uh, Shawn Michaels kicks Marty Jannetty through the window, and Heenan goes, "Look, Marty tried to jump through the window to escape." <laughs> uh, mine was Bobby's work at the Royal Rumble in 1992. Uh, both uh, color commentary during the match and his promo with Flair uh, and Kurt Hedding after Flair won the Rumble and won the title. The way his character ran the gamut of emotions during Flair's 60-minute uh, trip through the Rumble into the WWE Championship. And, and I'm, of course, a, a big Flair fan, always have been. That was like my guy, our guy from the NWA winning the WWE title. But uh, even though Flair, 60 minutes in a Royal Rumble bumping for everybody, shouldn't need you know any kind of uh, any kind of embellishment to get over. Bobby still did so much for that match. He was absolutely brilliant. That was Flair's tour de force, and that match was Bobby Heenan's tour de force. I'm sure that Vince put Bobby out there and told him, "You tell this story and get this guy over." Uh, you know, throughout these 60 minutes. Oh, no question, no question. Uh, and just, I'll never forget when when Flair comes out, number three, which means he's going to have to go forever to win, right? Mm-hmm. Bobby yells out, "Damn it!" And back then, nobody really swore on wrestling TV. It was just a damn it. But it kind of made you look up and, and take notice. And then at the end, when Flair wins, Bobby's not only celebrating, he's just incredibly relieved. Hmm. It was the perfect emotion at the end of that match. After all, Flair had gone through, and Bobby had gone through very evidently, vicariously with him. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, great point, great point. Don, favorite memory? I'll give you two. The first one is what Mark just said, the Royal Rumble, and and the tribute to that, if people are on New Japan World, is the uh, third Omega Okada match 
where I literally at times was jumping out of the announce desk when I thought uh, Kenny was going to get a pin and really stole everything from Bobby Heenan on that. So Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the big ones. And then the the other one I'll say, like, just, and I can't even, I don't know what match it was, but I just remember being seven years old and going to the Winnipeg Arena and running to kind of yell at the heels and (laughs) stopping right in front of Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle as a seven-year-old and just, like, hating Bobby Heenan being blown away by the aura of Bachwinkle and just all those combined great memories of wrestling the way I loved wrestling, the AWA mm-hmm. and, and Bachwinkle, all of that to me is, is about Bobby Heenan and, and what he brought to the table and how he made you hate Nick Bachwinkle, even if you respected him. You know, just to add on to that uh, quickly, is that I, I vividly remember two things about being a kid watching wrestling and chanting, standing on my feet and chanting, Weasel, Weasel. And the other thing I can vividly remember chanting is, with my dad standing behind me uh, t- yelling at Precious, was, Show your tits! Show your tits! <laughs> what a horrible little child you were. <laughs> There's the two uh, sides of the wrestling coin. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, long live Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, no question. Just, uh, just first off, to be on uh, talk is Jericho a big honor. We'll do it again in eighteen months, twenty-four <laughs> at, at the most, I'm sure. Yes. And, and just to be able to talk and, about Bobby, who I mean, uh, my, my, the last memory I have I, I want to share with the listeners about Bobby was there are two times when I worked in wrestling where I said I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe how lucky I am, and I almost cried. I was just so happy. One was backstage when I first got to WCW. And I had met both these guys before, but I'm talking to Ric Flair and Terry Funk about wrestling. And the conversation's going on for a while, and I'm just, you know, like, like a pig in slop. And then uh, later on, but very early in my tenure at WCW, I'm standing backstage. Nick Bockwinkel was there for like a slamboree type thing, and Bobby's working there. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to Nick Bockwinkel and Bobby Heenan. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, I have dreamed about this since the first time I bought an after mag. This is heaven. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Mark, Mark, listen, don't be a stranger. Happy to, happy to have you on our podcast, Killing the Town, you humanoid ham and egger. Yeah, a couple ham and eggers here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd love to. In fact, uh, a buddy of mine plays for the Calgary Flames, Matt Bartkowski, Pittsburgh kid. So uh, I want to see Brian Pillman Jr. I know he's training with Lance. Oh, is he? So I might actually make my way up there uh, sometime this fall. Well, it would be great to see you. Well, thanks a lot, guys. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll hook up again. In 24 months, Madden, uh, 36 tops, and no longer than 48 months. We'll see you right back here on Talk is Jericho. I'm writing it on my calendar as we speak. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you. The big boss man. He meets up with Bobby the Brain Heenan. The last time at the Meadowlands, boss man, you made an announcement. That you're going to be the executioner, you're going to run the gallows, you're going to throw the switch, you're going to fry me. Well, you're not, big boss, man. You're used to pushing around a lot of punks. I still have an injured knee. Now, if I don't wrestle you in that ring, I'm suspended for life. I'm going to get in the ring in the Meadowlands, but I have a family, and I have a mind, and I'm thinking constantly, and you're not going to finish me off. You're not, pal. (laughs) 
All right, because you probably aren't going to hear Mark Madden on Talk is Jericho anytime soon, uh, maybe uh, 24 months, 36, 48 tops, no longer than five years. You can listen to him on 105.9 The X, 105.9 The X, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. When you're in Pittsburgh, he is the top sports uh, commentator in the market. Or you can get him on demand at 1059thex.com, 1059thex.com. And thanks again to Cyrus. You can hear more of his take on wrestling. Uh, very brilliant on Killing the Town right here in the Jericho Network. Cyrus and Lance Storm release new episodes every Tuesday on the Jericho Network. And uh, Cyrus is also the commentator, color commentator for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So check that out on the, the uh, New Japan app. And we also got Team Tiger Awesome also on the Jericho Network. They release new episodes every Sunday. And if you subscribe, you're sure to get stuff like this every week. Hey there. Do you like non-offensive, health-free, water-based fruit water? But you're tired of worrying that the drink that you've grown to love will eventually kill you, like all the good things you love in this world? Well, try Fizz. At Fizz, you don't have to worry about what's in our fizzy water, because we won't tell you. We don't want to stress you out. We care about you that much. Don't you have enough to worry about with all the natural and man-made disasters happening in the world? Why worry about your fizzy drink? It's silly. So crack open a fizz and enjoy your life. Or at least, what's left of it. To find out more about fizz, check out the Team Tiger Awesome Show every Sunday on the Jericho Network. Leave it to Team Tiger Awesome to make organic fizzy water funny. Fizz. <laughs> Subscribe to their show at Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave them a five-star rating review. Do the same for Killing the Town. And go ahead and subscribe to all the great shows in the Jericho Network. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Mitch just got an interview with Gene Simmons. Exclusive. Mitch is a hustler. I love his show. The Raven Effect with Busby Berkeley. They're talking about modern wrestling. They're talking about gigging. They're talking about Vince McMahon on this week's show. Uh, great stuff there. And the flagship show, Keep It at 100 with Conan. Always very entertaining with the new co-host, uh, Jojo Feeney. KJ is out. Uh, KG, KG is out, Josephine is in They're doing a great job over there Beyond the Darkness bring paranormal stories and interviews To you every weekday And they've also got True Crime Tuesdays Go on at Patreon.com For five bucks a month you can get a new True Crime episode Every Tuesday with no commercials So sign up now at Patreon.com And don't forget Fozzie Live tonight in Fort Wayne At Pierre's uh, We're going to be at the A&R Bar in Columbus That show is almost sold out Get your tickets now at FozzieRock.com Friday we're in Detroit playing the uh, WRIF uh, rock and roll festival there for the great station uh, riff uh, Saturday we're in Libertyville, Illinois and Sunday we're at Sonic Boom for WJJO, another great rock and roll festival, that's over in Janesville uh, uh, Wisconsin uh, Janesville, Janesville, Wisconsin? Madison, yeah, Janesville, Wisconsin I believe, so go to FozzyRock.com check out all the gigs that we're coming to, to, to your town to play and check out the Fozzy Rock VIP, you can come uh, hear a uh, exclusive private pre-show concert with Fozzy we'll play five or six songs for you, including songs you're not going to hear that night, so check that out at FozzyRock.com and check out all my great sponsors here on Talk is Jericho, including DDP Yoga. Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho to take advantage of the special sale. DDP is running exclusively for all you sexy bees Talk to Jericho listeners. Don't forget to go to ziprecruiter.com slash Jericho to post your job for free. 
Save money on car insurance on Geico. And keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And this Friday, we got Porn's Power Couple, Lexington Steel, and Savannah Styles. They're married, and they are the top porn stars, adult stars in their field. And how would it be if you were both uh, top porn stars and you were married? What's it like when they're not uh, having sex on screen? What's it like when they are having sex on screen? Lexington Steel, Savannah Styles here on Friday for Porn's Power Couple. We'll see you then. In the meantime, in the between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy.